Hello and welcome to episode 212 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing all right, Mark. Uh, the ser- this obviously past series started off on a good note, and then unfortunately a couple injuries, ha- or uh, one key injury happened, didn't, on a, did, didn't end on a great note, and it also didn't end. Uh, it was just obviously tough news that we're gonna, you're going to get to right off the top, but uh, just in all aspects, not a good finish to this past weekend, unfortunately. Yeah, and as we now kind of are at the official halfway mark of the season, tomorrow's game will be officially game 81, but we're almost there. It's not necessarily the best way to end that first half of the season, but you know what? Team's still doing well-ish, still floating way above 500, still competing, but you know, I think this series, this whole weekend really for the team and the organization uh, could have gone a lot better. Yeah. And just before we do get any to any of the baseball stuff, we obviously want to mention what happened over the past few days. We learned today as we record this on Sunday that Mark Bazinski's daughter, Julia, had passed away on Saturday, um, 17 years old. The Blue Jays hold a moment of silence. Prior to today's game, Jamie Campbell with a heartfelt message at the top of today's broadcast and I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of baseball on this podcast, and, you know, that's what we do, but it is important to recognize that all this takes a backseat to what's going on right now with Mark and with the rest of the Blue Jays coaching staff and, of course, with the Budzinski family and everyone who knows them. Um, And I think, you know, there's a whole bunch of coaching staff and managers around baseball who have put out messages um, along the same lines. One thing that stood out to me is um, what Alex Cora said on this and said, um, basically, you get caught up in everything that happens in baseball and everything that you're doing on a day-to-day basis that you forget about how important life is outside of it. And I think that's something that we've definitely learned over the past day or two. And um, we're definitely keeping Mark in our thoughts and prayers um, as he takes a leave of absence from the team. So with that being said, there is baseball to talk about. The Blue Jays win two of five against the Tampa Bay Rays in a very long, very arduous weekend series against them. You have Canada Day on Friday, doubleheader on Saturday. The good vibes are there for the first couple days. The Blue Jays are winning. At one point, they'd won four of their last five, including a couple against the Red Sox. And then it just turns into total collapse on Saturday and on Sunday, of course. Um, The big standout, I think, is the bullpen. And this is a problem that the Blue Jays have had dating back to really more than a week ago to when they were in Milwaukee. You have Jose Brios collapse and his start. You have Yusei Kikuchi. Can't get out into the third inning. And it's just kind of snowballed from there for the Blue Jays. And every single day we're seeing a new problem emerge with the bullpen. And I think that is 
the main learning point from this series. Yes, you have the positive wins on day one and two, but day three and four go the other way, and that's really because of the bullpen, I think. And of course, you know, the bullpen have to has to be used more in game one of that doubleheader because of the Kevin Gosman injury. But um, I think that's the main thing to stress from this series. And if you are getting any takeaways from this five-game set, it's that the Blue Jays need to add pitching and add pitching fast. Exactly. And I guess the good thing you can look at from this series is it's a five-gamer. So if you're looking for any type of preview against what will likely be an AL East opponent in some type of playoff format, this is, I think, something you can look at. And yeah, the Blue Jays were in the series, but it very quickly was the complete opposite. And yeah, they do win the first two games. Starts off well. You see, you know, obviously, UK, Yusei Kikuchi bounces back at a career high or season high eight strikeouts, which he was fantastic all throughout the game. I don't think that there's any disagreements there. Second game, again, Jose Brios to some extent bounces back. You know, only three strikeouts, two walks, but still quality five innings. You know, not necessarily technically what would give him a quality start, but you can qual- call it a quality start. And then after that, it just pretty much just went complete south like it you look at obviously Kevin Gosman thankfully I think that it's fair to say that he avoided any any type of major injury after the x-rays but still to lose him regardless of if you lose him long term in that game you still lose him bullpen Casey Lawrence has to throw a lot of innings didn't necessarily fully go his way and then six earned runs charged to him but regardless team ends up losing that game six to two and I'm okay if you lose four of five or even three of or two of five no excuse me i'm okay if you win four or five or three or five like say it's you know you win the series four two four one three two anything like that that's okay but it's it kind of can't trickle after that like thomas hatch it just it was not a good start for him and then the pitching again the pitching depth it's been tested it's being tested pretty much all month and i think we're kind of seeing that the depth is kind of at its breaking point you lose ryu you lose Nate Pearson again. You kind of like you ha- you have a a quality five innings or f- five guys in your starting rotation. You have quality guys in your bullpen that you can rely on. But if those guys are not at their game, the guys that are, you're then going to rely on are definitely not necessarily there. And we're seeing some moves being made now. Definitely is you know it's nice to see. I think it's you do need to make these moves before the trade deadline, and especially as teams raise their asking price for quality relievers so that's the biggest thing that you can take away from here the offense in the games all of the games really except for that last one where they were down like 10 to nothing at one point it's fair to say that they were in it and even today's game they had their opportunities Guriel with the bases loaded one out in the in the first inning that was just a good play by the defenseman I think it's fair to say like that would probably shouldn't have been a double play in most cases but First baseman and second baseman definitely teamed up for the Rays on that one. But still, the key is here is this pitching depth. We Look, it's not good, the answer that I'm going to say, but it's the answer that we need to hear. The depth is at its max. It's it's at its breaking point. But okay, good. You can fil- fix that. You can build upon that. And that's definitely where things need to go from here. And now, Blue Jays do have a bit of a West Coast road trip going to Oakland and Seattle. At least with Oakland, they're a pretty bad team. With all due respect to them, they definitely did sell a lot. Don't really have a lot going on there. They do have, if I just look here, they do have pretty much the entirety of the rotation set to pitch in that one. That'll be a good quality series out of that. But 
this is the series where you need key guys that you need your starting rotation to throw as many innings as possible and you need to get that bullpen back on track and subsequently the offense kind of gets you back into games but I'm not necessarily worried about that they have the offense and not only do they have offense but they have depth whereas the pitching is kind of a little bit of a different story all I can say is at least we know where this team needs to go going forward and you're now we were just talking about this before we started you're only 14 games back of the division lead still have a playoff spot still have a bit of a lead over the fourth place Rays. But that can change in a heartbeat, and we saw over the last week that that will change in a heartbeat. But going forward, you need to improve on this pitching depth, or else it's going to be quite of a messy uh, second half of the season. And we also continue to mention countless times that the part of their schedule does not help at all because of the amount of games you have to play. We, we saw this week in a five-game series, which is something that you very rarely see. It also definitely makes things... Uh, in a, it puts things in definitely in a tougher spot. But, I mean, it just... It's very interesting because of how good this series started and then how quickly things kind of fell apart. I mean, you go, you start with Thursday and Friday, uh, especially with Yusei Kikuchi on the Thursday. In my opinion, and we spoke about it quite a lot, you know, and I think a lot of people also agreed, is that he was getting near the end of his final straw or his last chances before the Blue Jays would probably have to consider other options. So he goes out. He has a really good start. He just looked a lot more dialed in, kind of the Yusei Kikuchi, or pretty much what we f- saw from him in May, where he goes six innings, one earned run, and then he gives up eight strike or strikes out eight people. So that was good. You hand things off to the bullpen. There was no issues in that game. And of course, on the Friday game, which was on Canada Day, the only day of the year where they're actually supposed to wear the red jerseys, which is why they actually won and didn't lose in those cursed jerseys. I'm just going to put that put it out there. You have Jose Brios, who also struggling. Big, big question mark as well right now. As much as he didn't strike out a lot of people on that game, he still kind of managed to get his way through five innings. He gave up a lot of hits, but at the same time, he definitely looked a little bit more comfortable than he did his last outing back in Milwaukee. So I think we'll take that as well. And then really, heading into that doubleheader on the Saturday, we all know how doubleheaders work. Anytime you split a doubleheader, you're going to take that what's or you're going to take that 100%. And really, heading into that Saturday game, I was pretty convinced, and I think maybe most people were convinced, going to your series prediction mark of the Jays winning 4-5. to five, It really felt like that was really realistic. And then, of course, especially the first game, you knew Kevin Gosman was going to start, and then you knew the second game it was going to be somebody from outside of the roster or it was going to be a bullpen day. You know, Max Castillo was a name that was being thrown around. Trent Thornton was a name that was being th- thrown around, but they ended up going to Thomas Hatch. So that game, you know, probably the expectations for that game weren't as high as the first game. But in all fairness, none of us predicted or none of us could have predicted what was going to happen to Kevin Gosman. Uh, the one thing I do am cur- or I'm curious about is if he does miss a start, who is going to fill that void? Um, a lot of guys had to go. There has there's have been a lot of roster moves. One notable guy I would say is Max Castillo, who's been one of the better relievers over the course of the week. But because he was the odd man out, because he was the guy that was working, I guess, a lot of days prior, I guess, just consistent days, he was the odd man out, and he has to go down to Buffalo now for 10 days, or it's 10 or 15 days, unless there, or unless he's replacing somebody who was injured. So that is going to be a question mark for this coming Thursday, but when Kevin Gosman went down, in my opinion, that flat out changed the entire series. Again, nothing that we could have predicted, but really when he left the game after two innings, we know the state of the bullpen. It wasn't good whatsoever, and immediately the optimism for me dropped. I know Casey Lawrence gave up six run runs, but it's still, in my opinion, he did his job coming out of the bullpen. That's pretty 
you know, you don't ask a lot from, or it's very rare you ask for a guy, a long man coming out of the bullpen to give you almost six innings of relief work. And he did that, saving basically the bullpen for the rest of the series, which was already on fumes. So that game didn't go as planned whatsoever. We know how the second game went with Thomas Hatch. And I'm just going to say this quickly. I know the expectations aren't as high for Thomas Hatch, but this is now two straight years where he's been given an opportunity to pitch in some sort of, or have some sort of role with this team. And this is now two straight years where he hasn't taken advantage of it because we really saw him the most in 2020 where he was with the team for the most part. He was out of the bullpen. He had a very good year from how he pitched in his 17 games. But in 2021 and 2022, he has been given a few opportunities now, especially in 2021, hasn't taken advantage of it. And then, of course, he put up the outing that he did yesterday. Wasn't needed after the way the first game went. It just feels like splitting a doubleheader was obviously the way to do it. You don't, you never want to get swept in a doubleheader. And then it kind of puts the expectations for today's game on the Sunday game. You're not feeling as confident either. Ross Stripling doesn't have the best start either. And of course, just the Tampa Bay Rays pitching, fooling the Jays basically through the second half of the series. Once again, they have guys in that bullpen that you've never heard of before, but will destroy the Blue Jays lineup pretty much throughout, you know, whenever they appear. And that was the frustrating part this weekend is that the offense couldn't click, couldn't get going to the Rays' Uh, hitters or sorry the race pitching and then after the Gosman injury the entire fate and the entire outcome of the series changed completely swung right into the momentum of the Tampa Bay Rays and that's what you saw for the, uh, throughout the rest of the three games they win the doubleheader both games and then they win today in blowout fashion despite the Jays having that chance at the end of the game so definitely a disappointing series when you look at it at the end of or what happened throughout the, le- the last five days. I'm curious what your guys' initial reaction was to the Gosman injury. Because when I saw that play out on the screen, my mind instantly went to three weeks minimum. That was my original reaction because I was really thinking he couldn't put any weight onto his right leg. I really thought that there was a fracture there, that there was a bone that was broken, that he was going to be missing three weeks minimum. Were you guys along the same lines? I was just sitting there praying that that wasn't the case because it looked bad. Like, let's be real here. It did look pretty bad. Obviously, somebody's going to be in pain right when they get hit. So I'm trying to tamper my expectations a little bit. But the first thing, so I actually didn't see it happen at the time. Somebody had told me maybe 10 minutes later. And the first question I said was, did he walk off by himself? And obviously he did. Ish. Good sign. Yeah, <laughs> he had, he had people of. supporting well, him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but like he, yeah, but at least he could fit, move himself to some extent. But at least we know that the X-rays are negative. It's not a fracture or anything like that. Let's just hope that at most he misses a start. Maybe he misses the Oakland one or something like that. But my initial reaction was, e let's let's just pray that this isn't bad. Yeah, it just anytime somebody doesn't get up, it's not good. Mark, you were texting us in the Discord chat. I'll give you the credit there. That's how we found out. Of course, I was watching it live with you, though, at that point. And, yeah, I mean, look, it's just, first of all, it's a, it's a sigh of relief. Because if this turned into a long-term issue, we know how the starting rotation's kind of been a question mark outside of Gosman and Alec Manoa. And Kevin Gosman has been that guy who's been the most reliable. It just, it's something that would be difficult to forecast of how things would have went. So, you know, you never want to predict, I guess, the severity of an injury. But again, when he didn't get up, that wasn't good. I think he said today, basically, the high part of his cleat is what he believes saved them from 
completely shattering his ankle because obviously the diagnosis was a contusion and the x-rays were negative, which is a very good sign. So it is up in the air if he's going to make that Thursday start in Seattle or not. But immediately, I think, especially because he's been one of, if not your best starting uh pitching or starting pitching your rotation it's just it's not a good feeling whatsoever we've seen it in the past with so many different guys and the rotation itself has been healthy this year besides Hunjin Ryu it just it wouldn't have been good whatsoever and we're glad he's fine we're glad that it was obviously he was obviously coming out of the game right away the fact that he couldn't get up went right for x-rays he was fine and the fact that this is now a short-term situation even if he does miss a start or two uh, it definitely feels a lot better. You know, you'd feel a lot better of it. You want him to get back to, you want him to get healthy 100%. The, the, one of the tests that I think the team also brought up was that uh, they're obviously on the West Coast this week. So they're on, they're in for a really long flight. Um, I'm sure they've already taken off by now by the time we're recording. How is he going to react sitting down in a plane for five hours? He's going to have treatment. I believe they said he was going to have treatment on the plane as well. So really the next couple of days are going to be crucial to see if he will make that next start in Seattle. And we're all hoping that he does because, again, who's going to start that game with the depleted bullpen right now, limited options in Buffalo? It's not a bridge that you want to cross, but at the same time, it's something that I think you have to at least attempt to prepare for because again there's a couple guys that you sent down that can't come up right away until you're replacing an injured guy it doesn't seem like an IL move is likely at the moment but again anything can change so we're kind of all hoping that's not the case either so Hart immediately dropped at the time the injury happened and once again we're glad that the x-rays were negative and it again feels like it's going to be a short-term problem that they're going to have yeah um now the question is what you do with the extra spot in the rotation if Gosman doesn't make that start. And you're bringing up some of the depth that the Blue Jays have or the lack of depth at starting pitcher. Um, we saw Thomas Hatch get into a game. Didn't work out so well. There were some people who thought Max Castillo should have started that game instead of Thomas Hatch just based purely on Max Castillo's numbers and the majors, what he'd been able to do over his last I think it was seven or eight appearances where he had basically shut down the opposition after a rough first outing in the majors versus Thomas Hatch and the minors. He's been hot and cold this season, very inconsistent as of late people saying that Max Castillo should have made that start in the second game of the doubleheader instead of Thomas Hatch. Now that the Blue Jays have an extra spot in the rotation potentially open on Thursday in Seattle, who do you go with? Do you put Kevin Gosman into that rotation? Or excuse me, do you put Thomas Hatch back into the rotation or do you try someone else? Do you go with someone like Max Castillo? Do you go with someone like Trent Thornton? Who's your ideal pick for that spot in the rotation? Who would you like to see in the worst case scenario that Kevin Gosman doesn't make that start? You know what's bad when I don't really want any of those options to necessarily make that start? Uh, well, I mean, that's... That yeah, just goes to show yeah, how the weak point. the Blue Jays' depth is at starter and why they need to mm-hmm. make a trade, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about a little bit later. I think – here's the thing. I, I'm i just looking through their pitching chart really, really quickly. I'm thinking you might have to go with – I'm thinking Trent Thornton to some extent. Give him – like you could do an opener. You could do him two innings or three innings, something like that, maybe hatch the other two or three. And I know Bryson, as I can see on the YouTube, absolutely despises me for even projecting that type of idea. But I think you have to at least consider it. Worst case, it's for one game. The last thing you want is this to be a permanent solution. But if it's one game against the Oakland Athletics, 
worse things could happen, I think is is the best way to put it. You put, you have him Jeez, as I look at this depth, like either everybody on the depth chart is either in the rotation or in the bullpen and has their roles completely shifted. I think you probably have to go with a bit of a combo. Maybe you put Trent Thornton to start, then maybe Casey Lawrence put him two or three innings, something like that. Like basically I don't think they're gonna just have a starter. I think they're gonna have an opener and do something like that. Like just just get get you through the one game if you need it. If you don't need it, perfect. But if you need it for one game against one of the worst teams in baseball, I think an opener is fine. Well, like once again, as I was mentioning, guys like Castillo or Hatch can't come up unless they're replacing the roster spot of somebody. Well, presumably if Gosman's injured, he might, he might be day to day, I guess. But if he's exactly, injured, I would, I assume if even if he's only missing one start, the Jays would put him on the IL because it's still and they may have no choice. Yeah, IL, right, because of the depth, is, and that's exactly what's that? Is it fifteen day IL for for a pitcher? Now? Pitchers is fifteen. Never mind. Which is tough. That's three starts, right? So the options are limited. I mean, I guess that's something that you can always have uh, kind of a bridge that you might have to cross. But the thing that was interesting from the doubleheader was Casey Lawrence was the extra guy. And a lot of people were kind of expecting Hatch to be the extra guy. And Hatch was the one activated prior to the start. So technically, Casey Lawrence could be that guy. Another guy that maybe comes to mind other than Trent Thornton. But of course, that is definitely an option. Somebody, maybe Anthony Kay. I know he's kind of been up and down between Buffalo and Toronto. He's definitely a guy that is a candidate to start. So the options are very limited, which is why Gosman starting on time is definitely a lot more essential than that. And they're, they're praying that he is going to react fine once the Jays do land in Oakland and over the next couple of days. He's going to try throwing, I guess, in a couple of days. So that's pretty much really outside of a roster move for Gosman. You're really down to somebody like Lawrence or Kay or a bullpen day like Jacob was proposing, as much as I don't like the idea, it may be the only thing they can do. But again, the bullpen has been on fumes. A lot of guys are pretty much just coming into roles who haven't pitched in consecutive days, and that's really where things are right now. And you look at today, Trent Thornton, who's supposed to be a long guy out of the bullpen, only got two outs, which definitely wasn't ideal, because then you have to burn through more of your bullpen, which is why you can see the, you know, how difficult it really is. I know Anthony... Banda was acquired from Pittsburgh, which is something that we're going to talk about. We know that he's going to be coming up, which means there's going to be or there's going to need to be a roster move for him. So there's a lot of things happening with the bullpen right now. But of course, really, when you look at all of it between all of these moves, it is a very complex situation where the Jays, it feels like their hands for most of this stuff are actually really tied. I will say this about Casey Lawrence. I know he didn't put up the greatest numbers in his outing. But I will say I have a lot of positive feelings for him right now because not only did he save the Blue Jays' bullpen, he ended up pitching, I think it was 5.2 innings, and yes, he gave up five runs, I think it was. But to be honest, I wouldn't mind him making that start. So I think he's one guy I would like to have on my list. And of course, the options widen if you are putting Gosman on the IL. So I think Max Castillo and Casey Lawrence are the two guys that I would like to see, barring any trades that we may see by that time. And speaking of trades, the Blue Jays making a deal to pick up Anthony Banda. They get him from the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for cash considerations. Um, This is kind of what we expect the Blue Jays to be doing at this stage of the season. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are upset about this deal just because Anthony Banda isn't all that great, and that is true. He has an ERA above six this season, and To be fair to him, he does have very strong numbers on the periphery. The thing that I think 
the Blue Jays really latched onto is his strikeout to walk ratio, which is above four, and his FIP, which is at 3.79. So those two numbers, I think, is probably what the Blue Jays are interested in when they're acquiring this guy. But yeah, he's not great. But the thing I have to say to people who are upset over this move is this isn't it. Ross Adkins isn't making this deal and then sitting on his hands. This is not what the Blue Jays are doing exclusively. We know there's other stuff in the works. We know that the Blue Jays are interested in other players, whether it be relievers, whether it be starters, whether it be left-handed bats like Andrew Benintendi that we've heard mixed in with the Blue Jays. This is not the be-all, end-all for Ross Atkins and the Blue Jays front office. They are making other deals. They are in the progress of talking to other front offices. It just requires some patience. Some foresight to realize this is not the be-all, end-all. There's more coming after this. So this deal in by itself is not great. It's not anything that jumps off the page. It's not going to be the front page of the Toronto Star sports section the morning after it happens. But down the line, this guy could pay off. And I'm very confident that the Blue Jays are going to be making bigger and better deals from here. Well, to the people that are mad, what are you mad about? The Blue Jays literally gave up nothing like okay they gave up cash but you bought a pitcher for a very small amount of money like this isn't if it was worth more they would have done that they would have given up more but this is just a lower risk deal if it works it works if it doesn't it is what it is like and like you said this is not the end i'm sure as deadline day comes around i think it's what how many days are in july is it 30 it's august 2nd this year okay so but, but like basically around that point the 30th, 31st, you get to the beginning of August, you're um, you're definitely going to see a few more deals made. And it is what it is. Like, you obviously you want something to happen earlier, like last season where they did pick up, I think it was around this time last year, maybe a couple weeks ago uh, in 2021, where they picked up Simber and Richards. Ideally, you want the help as early as you can get it. But this is fine for now. And who knows? I mean... I doubt that he's really going to be a factor, but maybe Nate Pearson's ready by the time deadline day comes around. Who knows? But at the end of the day, this isn't this isn't going out and getting Adam Simber. This is going out and getting just something completely different. If it ends up helping the team, even if he's just there to get a few outs here or there to save the Simbers, the the Romanos, all those guys, that's still I I think you can 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 consider that a win. And at the end of the day, this isn't it. We'll see if they're able to go out and get more moves. And I'm also interested to see what they're willing to give up. Like, are you willing to go and give up more prospects, more major league talent for a reliever? Say that reliever only has a year left on their deal. We'll have to see. But I think it. we're kind of getting to that point now where you got to start picking up the phone. And I'm sure there are they are, but we're kind of getting to that point where trade talks and trade rumors, they are a lot more serious and a lot more imminent than we might realize. And to latch on further to what both of you are saying, which you're both right about, what is there to be mad at? The There is no other internal option. We were just discussing who would fill in for Kevin Gosman, and literally none of us were pretty much, you know, no names really caught our eye. The depth isn't there. Of course, they're going to go out and get somebody new. This is a kind of very, or this is very similar to getting Sergio Romo. It's for the rest of the season. What's the what's the risk? What's the issue with that? They are far from done. They were one of the first teams, like one of you two mentioned last year, to make a move. No other significant moves have been been made around baseball yet. 
I don't understand what the concern is either. I mean, why not? We were talking, Mark, you mentioned it too when you're um, bringing it up. You know, as much as his numbers don't look great on paper, you know, a lot of people that, or a lot of people believe that his advanced numbers are a lot better. You know, an expected ERA, I think it's below four. His FIP is also below that as well. You know, uh, his walk rate is impressive. At, I think his walk rate is 5.1%. So, you know, there's success there. There's some things to work with. Uh, I think also limiting hard contact is something that he's done well this year. Again, despite the inflated ERA, it's an add to the bullpen. It's something that is going to probably, he's most almost certainly going to join the team within the next couple of days, probably in Oakland before they make a move on that. He's a new lefty that's going to be an alternative to Tim Meza. Uh, so again, I don't see the issue with it. This is not their last move. This is far from, you know, this is probably one of their beginning moves as again, the trade deadline hasn't even really been a hot topic of a conversation just yet. We're now starting to see the beginning of the market pan out. We talked about it last episode. There was the Andrew Benatendi uh, report and there's only going to be, this is one out of many more that's going to happen throughout the rest of, or the next couple of weeks. So why not Adam Anthony Banda? Um, Again, there's some stuff that you can work with in terms of even if you look at his baseball uh, saving page, there's there's really some tools to work with on that one. And it's not the end of the world that you're taking a risk on him like this. You you basically got him for you basically got him for cash, and then of course you got Sergio Romo for the rest of the year as well in a very similar low risk move. So I have no issues with it whatsoever. They obviously saw something they can work with, and let's hope that he can turn things around uh, and help this bullpen. Yeah, I think the comparison to Sergio Romo is good because it's kind of a low-risk, high-reward type guy. And we've already seen Sergio Romo have an impact for the Blue Jays. He's made two appearances so far, an inning each. And uh, he's hasn't given up a hit, given up one walk, struck out three guys across two innings. So that's the type of deal that the Blue Jays are looking at. And I think the guy that immediately jumps to my mind when we're talking Anthony Banda is a comparison to... Andrew Vasquez at the start of the season. A lefty, terrible numbers in the majors, but good stats on the peripheries when it comes to strikeout and FIP. And Vasquez hasn't really worked out for the Blue Jays, but you never know. The Blue Jays have a shot of making a deal with Anthony Banda and having it work out. So try it. Why not? What do you have to lose as as the Blue Jays? And this is certainly not the end of the line in terms of deals that they're going to be making. We're excited. We are less than a month from the trade deadline. We are sure to see some rumors flying around. Um, Okay, something that has been a conversation point in Blue Jay circles for a while, but we have yet to talk about is the shift and the amount of shifting that the Blue Jays are doing in excess compared to other teams. Um, The Blue Jays are far and away the team across the majors that that are employing the four-man outfield the most, employing other types of shifts the most, And by and large, I think it's fair to say it's worked for the Blue Jays, but there are instances where it's incredibly frustrating to watch, where there should be an outfielder position there and there isn't. There should be an infielder position there and there isn't, and it ends up costing the Blue Jays some cases just a hit. In some cases, it ends up costing the Blue Jays a run. In some cases, it ends up costing the Blue Jays the game. The instance that I'm thinking about is way back when the Blue Jays were in Chicago, I think it was Bradley Zimmer was positioned weirdly in the outfield. If he had been playing it straight up, the Blue Jays would not have lost that game. Instead of that, the Blue Jays lose that game. So I'm interested in hearing what you guys think. Are the Blue Jays shifting too much? Should they pare down the defensive shift? Should they 
not zig where everyone else is zagging? Should they go with the rest of the pack, the other 29 teams across Major League Baseball that are shifting a considerable amount less than them? Or should they keep up what they're doing? Um, because obviously they think it's working. They think the numbers back it up. And they're confident that it's the right approach to take. So I'm curious what you guys think on this. Just to give my thoughts right off the bat, I don't feel passionately either way. What I will say is that as a fan, and I'll say as a dumb fan, like as a fan who's not totally in tune with all the analytical matters, who's you know keeping track of the shift percentages every day and where the balls are going, it's frustrating to watch hits trickle through where there should be a fielder. But I say that as someone who doesn't totally know all the numbers, doesn't totally know all the rationale behind it from the Blue Jays front office. So that's my opinion. Not passionate either way, but it can be frustrating in the moment as someone who doesn't totally know all the details behind the scenes. I don't think any of us do. I think the Blue Jays front office is kind of keeping this all cloak and dagger, but that's what I'll say on this. Holy shift. I had to get that one in there. But basically, this team, uh, they shift a lot. I think it's fair to say. We've all seen this. Um, I mean, we do. We watch the games. But I think I'm not. I'm kind of like you where I'm not necessarily completely polarized to one side i'm more in the middle but if you're shifting because if you i'm sure we've all seen those graphics where they'll have like different percentages per area of the field where like to center field you hit x percent left field right field x percent if you're shifting basing based off of a few percentage points different like you primarily hit it to left field and then you have five or four guys in that area don't like only do it in extreme instances where you cannot afford to or or it makes more sense to go in that type of shift and to to get that for sure out that that nearly guaranteed out but if you're like it it does work in some senses but it seems as if and this could just be recency bias but it seems as if every time a guy gets a hit it's when the blue jays are in those types of extreme shifts obviously that's not always the case but i think that only shift if you need to or if you feel as if you need to and if the numbers back it up then I guess I really don't have much of an argument but I wouldn't shift everybody is kind of the way I put it like don't there's a few Yankee players I think who whose names are escaping me but there's a few players within the division where you know that hitter I think it's Anthony Rizzo if I'm not mistaken actually you know that that guy is hitting for the opposing team because the outfield becomes 10 times more crowded and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work I think it might but... be Joey Gallo who you're thinking of and Joey Gallo, yes. Okay, so that's who it was. Who might so, not same be Yankee for long. Yeah, that's true. But uh, anyways, basically my point is, is you know that that guy is coming to the plate or you know somebody's coming because the outfield or the infield drastically changes. Don't always do it. Only do it if you need to. And don't do it for everybody because by that standard, like you could just shift 24-7. Like every single hitter, which we've kind of seen, is being positioned with some sort of a shift. I think you just, you have the the defense that's good enough to play as close to straight up as possible. I'm pretty sure it's Matt Chapman's a lock at third. He's pretty much always making a play. Even Bo Bichette, who is kind of shaky, can still get to balls. Santiago Espinal, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like, they're all good fielders, and the outfielders, same things. But basically, you don't have to shift all the time. And that's really all I have to say. Like, I'm not against it. I'm not, I'm not, against it i'm not not for it if that makes sense it's just do it if you absolutely need it but don't 
You don't do it every single time. Okay, so let's start with the personal opinion before we move into the facts. People who have listened to this prior, I can't stand the shift. This is one of the things with the new CBA that I was jumping up and down for, that it is going to be banned next year. Now, we, we still don't know... I guess how like if if there's just going to be restrictions or if it's flat out going to be banned, we don't know the severity of the penalties yet, but the one thing for sure, and it's been proven a lot, obviously by stats and all that already is that it is something that they do like more than any other team. And it's by like a long shot. It's by a margin. So that's the one thing. Now, the other thing is maybe it's just because of my personal opinion or not, but as much as there's, I guess there have been a few times this year where it has saved or it has saved a play, and that there's no there's no denying that whatsoever. But it just feels like we see it, them get burned more by the shift than they make plays. And again, maybe that's just me because I personally don't like the shift. But that that is something that I kind of been noticing right away. And I'm not the only one. Mark, you brought it up pretty pre, pretty much in our chat throughout the week. And then, of course, you know, this was also something that was taken into account with Kevin Gosman's struggles a couple weeks ago when he went through that little blip is that as much as there was the, you know, the theories that he was tipping his pitches, you know, him just struggling altogether, there was also the note that the Jays, when they shift with Kevin Gosman starting, seemed to be burned a lot. And that maybe was something that was affecting Kevin Gosman a little bit more than we thought, especially when a ball was being hit to the right side of the infield. There were so many different highlights with that. Now, with... Weighted on base average, somebody decided to take stats on this. So, standard when there's no shift, it is 309. When there is the shift, 316, and it gets better. With a strategic shift, but still two infielders on each side of the base, but not standard positioning, 350. So, you can tell me the numbers, sure, help this you know you look at the there's actually been a couple overhead shots this year where you see blue jays coaches looking at the t- uh, a tablet and it's actually fascinating seeing kind of i guess just the hot spots of the red zones of a hitter where they really hit the ball more than others and that's kind of how they're strategic or strategically positioning their their fielders as much as they believe that there are also numbers to show that so far this season it hasn't worked as much as you thought it would be again maybe it's just me but it just feels like they get burned more than they, it actually saves runs. And I don't know how much this will last. It just seems like this is something that at this point, we're halfway through the year. They are flat out committed to doing for the rest of the year. And nothing's going to stop them. If that's the case, I've gotten used to seeing it. It doesn't bother me as much anymore. But of course, when you see nobody on the right side of the infield and a ball just weakly is a weak contact and gets through, that's when I get a little upset. So Mark, I'm glad you brought it up this week on our chat and I hope that next year no matter what the restrictions are or hopefully actually the restrictions are no shifting in general I can't stand it I've never liked it even if it does benefit my own team I can't stand it and I think it needs to go well hold on I think shifting should at least be allowed but when you're doing it in the most extreme scenario such as every single batter it's like okay especially that, that the four man outfielder I can't yeah, stand yeah that's it. that's what the rules would outlaw the rules aren't to you know you can't move you have to pin yourself at one spot of the diamond the rules are going to be like two two infielders on either side of second base it's probably going to be only three guys in the outfield like that's what my personally I think I'm more on your side Jacob like you should be able to institute extreme shifts but there's got to be some rule for paring it down so one thing one idea I actually saw recently was to treat the shift 
like a relief pitcher. And I'm going to explain what I mean. Because relief pitchers now, you have to get three outs or finish the inning. If you're instituting an extreme shift, you have to stick with that shift for three outs or until the end of the inning. So, for example, the Blue Jays. We talked about Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo's facing the Blue Jays for whatever team he might be playing for in the future. Uh, the Blue Jays employ a four-man outfield. Joey Gallo pops out to Santiago Espinal in shallow right field. Espinal now has to stay in the outfield for the next two batters or until the end of the inning. And I think this means that teams can still use the shift. It just becomes more strategic and teams are going to use it less because there's more of a commitment. There's more of a trade-off to using that guy because you're going to have to keep it for the next two outs. And maybe it's not, maybe it's two outs instead of three outs or something like that. I don't know. But that's an idea that I've seen that I think could work. Maybe it gets too complicated and we're talking about too many things happening at once. But I kind of like that idea for minimizing the shift but not outlawing it entirely because I think there still should be some degree of freedom for infielders, for outfielders, for position players in general to move around and defend against guys who tend to hit the ball in certain locations. Um, on the Blue Jays, I will say, the last thought I have, I admire the fact that they are trying something different than every other team in baseball. This is something that is made historically the Tampa Bay Rays so successful, historically the Oakland Athletics so successful with a tiny payroll. It's zigging while everyone else is zagging. It's trying something new, trying ideas that are off the wall that according to the computers, according to the textbook, should work. So we're going to try it, put it into action. If it doesn't, we learn from it. If it does, we have an advantage off of everyone else. So I admire the fact that the Blue Jays are trying this. But as you say, Bryson, as you bring up those numbers, it seems as if it hasn't totally worked out. And it seems as if the Blue Jays maybe should reverse course. But again, I'm not too passionate about it as a fan. Frustrating in the moment, but I don't think I really sit squarely on either side. Um, but yes, I am, oddly enough, looking forward to rules outlawing the shift next year. And it's not something I thought I was going to be saying, but I am looking forward to it. And sidebar, not to derail this conversation too much, but Rob Manfred interview this week in ESPN um, said that automatic strike zones are most likely coming in 2024. And with someone like Rob Manfred, he normally doesn't say stuff if it's not incredibly calculated. And I see both of you celebrating and uh, me as well. I'm very happy that that is on its way. The Doug Eddings game will live in infamy forever, but I cannot wait until umpires no longer have jobs. Um, anyways, um, uh, I think that's all we have to talk about. Um, any final thoughts before we get to series predictions? Can I just say umpires having an automated strike zone is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And now let's go to the series predictions. <laughs> okay it needs to happen like let's be honest here I, we've all talked about that game we've seen it some of the, i know obviously it's easier to call a game from your tv with the strike zone on the broadcast but if you're getting paid to call a game and you cannot call a game it gotta get replaced i don't hold it against doug eddings for screwing up that much i mean i do a little bit but being an umpire is a hard job and we should recognize that and recognize that we have the technology in place to fix it and do it perfectly. 
So why don't we do it? Anyways. I love that. I guess the other takeaway I'll have, and this is maybe a conversation for another day, is he did, obviously the pitch clock is coming next year. He did mention a couple other things, but the one notable thing I do remember him saying, and again, when the time comes, I'm sure we'll talk about it because there's going to be something that potentially affects the Jays in terms of a brand and being Canada. He does, or he did mention expansion to 32 teams, and that will always be something that's exciting. We see that, we've seen that a lot in hockey over the last couple of years. And we know that, I guess, one possible destination will always or forever will be Montreal. That's just something that is down the road. We'll definitely be able to talk about. And it's something that's always interesting when the league is open to expansion. I don't want to derail this conversation entirely, but it seems like we already have. Um, I find it interesting that for years now, he's he's been saying we aren't going to expand until the situation in Tampa Bay and the situation in Oakland is figured out. And it seems like that kind of wording, that kind of caveat has disappeared from what he's been saying. So I find that interesting. I think we may be getting expansion. Maybe Las Vegas is in the books. Maybe Montreal is in the books. We know um, Nashville really wants a team. So a couple different cities to be keeping an eye on. Exciting times in Major League Baseball. And the last thing I'll say is, because we are talking about Rob Manfred, I just want to express how much I think he is doing a terrible job <laughs> as much as we're talking about these things that he's doing being positives. Um, okay, three games against the Oakland Athletics. Series predictions. Okay, so this series is going to be a little interesting. You got Barrios, Manoa, Kikuchi. Two of those three, well, actually, they're all coming off of good starts. Hopefully some rebounding is continuing for Kikuchi, Barrios. I think it's fair to say that yeah, Oakland's pretty bad. Um I don't want to call a sweep because that's kind of a little too bold, but you, at least you, you have to take two of three from this at the absolute bare minimum, and I think they easily have the team to do it. See, I don't think it's bold because, number one, they're 3-7 and seven of their last 10 games. Number two, they are last in the AL West by almost 10 games now. This is a series that you have to take advantage of. This is a series that you have to sweep. However, this is something that we haven't seen this year. When the Jays get these these types of games, so far they haven't capitalized on it. You're coming off a rough weekend against the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm fully expecting a sweep with Manoa, with Kikuchi, with Barrios. I will say three out of three uh, this upcoming week in Oakland. Sweep, 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 sweep. Yes. Green sweep for the Blue Jays. I don't know if it'll happen, but let's manifest it. Um and I was very wrong about the Tampa Bay series. So I hope it's not the case here. I really, I, after Thursday and Friday, I was feeling really, really confident, especially uh, Saturday game one. They, the Blue Jays jumped ahead early and I was feeling unbelievably confident that the Blue Jays were going to win four or five and I could come on here and rub it in your face as I predicted it correctly. And it turns out I couldn't have been more wrong and I'll own up to it. But yeah, sweep against the Oakland Athletics. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, you can support our podcast on social media. That's at Section138Pod on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can also support us by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, we're looking forward to a little West Coast swing. Not looking forward to having our sleep schedule screwed up for the next week <laughs> in Oakland and Seattle. <laughs> But that's reality of loving the Blue Jays and watching Blue Jays baseball. We will catch you tired as ever after this series against Oakland.